Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet. Each week, I'll be bringing you stories of people living lives of fruitful service, of peace, community, compassion, creative action, and progressive efforts. I'll be tracing the spiritual roots that support and nourish them in their service, hoping to inspire and encourage you to sink deep roots and produce sacred fruit in your own life. Let us sing Before I introduce you to today's Spirit in Action guest, I wanted to remind all of you listeners that we welcome your suggestions for guests, especially if you would like to raise up the world healing work of someone in your area. Although this program is syndicated nationally, we want it to be local in nature, and you can help us by connecting us up with the peace and justice workers where this show is broadcast. So, all you listeners in Garberville, Madison, Viroqua, Lowell, Northampton, Ukiah, Kabul, Bellows Falls, and the cities where you listen to this program, go to nordenspiritradio.org and email or call us. Help us make this program relevant to you. Today we've got a guest who's not so very local, although he did visit my city at the end of March. Dr. Vinya Ariaradne is General Secretary of the Sarvodia Shramadana Movement in Sri Lanka, and he's the son of Sarvodia's founder, beginning from Buddhist precepts and practices, but operating as an interreligious and culturally diverse organization, Sarvodia has touched and empowered the lives of many millions of Sri Lankan citizens from all corners of the country. Although the struggle of the Tamil Tigers, as they were called, is finally ended after more than two decades of internal war, there is still a great deal of healing and growth remaining. The kind of work Sarvodya has been doing since 1958, first under the leadership of A.T. Ariaradne, and now under his son, Dr. Vinya Ariaradne. I sat down with Vinya during his March visit to Eau Claire after listening in on one of the university classes he had presented for. Vinya, it's great to have you here today for Spirit in Action. It's great to be here with you, Mark. It's a long trip all the way from Sri Lanka over here. How was it that this got set up? How did you get this visit here? In USA, we have been having so many friends over the years. Uh, since the very inception of the movement for several decades we have had uh, individuals who are interested in the work that we were doing back in Sri Lanka who have also come and volunteered to uh, help our work in Sri Lanka and they set up uh, also an organization, a Friends of Sarvodaya called the Sarvodaya USA and uh, we have had contacts with professors and students who are working at the University of uh, Wisconsin they got to know that I was visiting USA and they organized a series of interactions for me with the staff and the students. You're here as a representative of Sarvodia, and part of what I note is that you are almost as old or approximately the same age as the organization. 
Were you a child raised in the arms of Sarvodaya? Yes, very much so, uh, Mark. Uh, my father was the founder of Sarvodaya. He founded this organization uh, 55 years ago, and I'm 51 years old. So I uh, actually was born into the environment created by the movement, and I went through decades of grooming within the Sarvodaya movement. Although professionally, I got qualified as a as a doctor and has been also practicing my own profession before full time joining sarvodaya as a full time worker i'm very interested in this division of your professional responsibilities and how this relates to the mission of sarvodaya does does being a medical doctor make it easier for you to do your work with sarvodaya or is that not necessary i mean any large organization like that a lot of what you're doing is administration organizing people somehow having that connection with people i got trained as a physician but i actually specialized in public health i didn't opt to uh, work in a hospital to be be a clinician so uh, i uh, studied public health and also back home uh, i got specialized in the field of community medicine so my training involved lot of interaction with the community and looking at uh, social dimensions of well being so i was still involved in the art of healing as you may say and practicing medicine in a much more holistic way bringing development also into the picture and i was working on factors that affect people's well being and health so i did not i can't differentiate that this is quite uh, distance from my professional career but it's a very much an integral part of course the setting that i work as you said is a organizational setting where there are management issues administration also as responsibilities in my hands but i don't see kind of a strong distinction between my career uh, or the professional training versus what i am uh, doing now really with my life i gathered from what i heard you speaking to the nursing class here at university of wisconsin that one of the essential principles of savodia is local administration local power local control and yet i think you're kind of at the pinnacle of something even though you can't have that much power if you're leaving it at the grassroots leadership mm-hmm. so what is your role and you know what what's the mission that you carry into your post with savodia as you said mark this is a movement which is empowering communities empowering in the sense that we are helping these communities to organize themselves look at their own resources look at their own problems and try to facilitate a kind of holistic development process bringing in also where necessary external resources financial technical and also the inspiration for them to work within their own village and also connected with other uh, villages in their their vicinity and that process is definitely building their own capacity and uh, what you call building a social capital from the bottom up but at the same time we as a national organization at one level that is at the operational level provides that guidance and linkages and transfer of resources that is essential because even if you believe in a bottom up process and a participatory process unless these community organizations are supported with some form of guidance in terms of philosophy in terms of tools to work with 
people and certain technologies being introduced to the community so we play that role as an organization so what i do is being the general secretary which is a governance position in the organization although i started as the executive director of sarvodeva i was much more involved at an operational level now i am uh, more involved at the strategic policy level in uh, working in the future directions of the movement and dealing with key stakeholders at national and international levels however i am still involved in working with my team of uh, managers at the national level to guide these villages help these villages raise funds where are necessary to implement certain programs and also trying to make the necessary linkages at different level the community level with the local government and provincial administrations as well as national level ministries and government departments as well as private sector linking the the, the resources that are available and we also believe in a, a transformation in our economy so we are working on any alternative economic model based on microfinance uh, providing microfinance facilities to uh, the village communities through these organizations village organizations and also providing them guidance as to how they can be entrepreneurs how they can market their products how they can protect their environment the kind of development has to be also based on their own values and beliefs and protect their cultural heritage and so on so this is the kind of work that i am involved in uh, and guiding uh, uh, our administration as well as the different units uh, of the organization to support these communities i understand that's a completely necessary theoretical and organizational structure that you need to to carry this out but it doesn't convey for me some of the power that i think is inherent in sarvodia could you give me some examples of what that means in terms of really dealing with people or dealing with villages what does it mean that you're empowering them so what do you actually do so how we put this philosophy into practice is by starting with what people really need in their communities now being a country which has a largely a buddhist population in terms of their faith 70% or the large majority of the people living in sri lanka been, belong to uh, their faith is buddhism and in buddhism we have certain values that we practice one of which is sharing now uh, we use this uh, concept of dana or sharing uh, for village development activities we start with a felt need in a village for example in the very initial stages of the movement cutting access roads con- constructing village roads was a major activity because it was a it was one of the greatest needs that we found in a rural village in sri lanka they didn't have access in ca- in the event of an emergency most of these villages were isolated located quite far from main roads so if they have a access road to the village uh, then it helps them a lot traditionally these people have been dependent on government services government or local government authorities to come and construct roads for them what we did was using this uh, buddhist concept of dana or sharing we got people to come together to cut roads construct roads now that was then done in a very planned way where initially of course you have to plan where the road is going to be running through which part of the village where you have to take certain collective decisions and people have to also donate their land for the road to be constructed so we are we bring in the generosity of even rich people land owners and give them an opportunity to be contributing to village development then ordinary 
ordinary people will have to donate their labor so they will decide how many days that they would require to construct a road like that and then calculate the number of days that they have to work so it will be done as a work camp an educational and interactive work camp where all people get together in the village and what we do what i described earlier through our our organizational structure is facilitating this process by sending a very trained and experienced community worker who will explain the process of how to organize uh, what we call as ramadan or sharing of labor camp in the village to construct this road so when you plan the road how to cut this road then you have to look at how you affect the environment sometimes there are valuable trees that you may have to remove in that instance you know you decide how to alter the the route so that you save so people get sensitized to environmental concerns as well as part of uh, constructing the road then about the drainage when you have high rainfall there can be flooding so how do you take into account uh, certain scientific principles of flow of water drainage so you get the help of a person from the village who may have that knowledge rather than relying on a, a engineer who is uh, coming from outside the village so they have the ownership from the very beginning that they will be doing something that will benefit the community but they are doing it by themselves then they will plan how to how to feed the people who will be coming to the camp so it's a temple or a kovil uh, some religious institution will also be a part of this planning process and will contribute in some way they will donate rice or some other food items to cook and the women in the village will get together and see okay we'll run a, a community kitchen for this period and we will all get together take turns some people will work in constructing the road otherwise other people will be helping in the kitchen so that kind of division of labor and planning is done so in the process the whole village gets sensitized into something that is connecting their inner spirituality of that value of sharing at the same time seeing some physical work done and something getting constructed uh, that will also benefit them uh, immediately benefit their families their children and then we also spend quite a lot of time during that work camp for people to engage in dialogue so three times a day what we call family gathering is held where all the people who participate in that work camp get together and discuss they also start the meetings with a meditation because there are maybe people who also belong to other religions they are given a chance to also observe their religious practices chant their prayers in public so that the others will also get to know about other traditions and religions so it becomes a very harmonious spiritual activity as well then also we bring in the cultural elements we give a opportunity for people particularly the children to perform in public while the work camp is going on during these meetings or family gatherings we get them to uh, come and perform that also gives them an opportunity to preserve some of the cultural practices in that particular uh, village share it with people coming from outside also to come and help so when the road gets constructed we say that we build the road the road builds us road builds us means it builds our personality it takes out the good in ourselves and it gives such a satisfaction for the participants it a lifelong experience for some who come from outside who may belong to sometimes rich 
class living in urban cities so it gives them a exposure to the reality that is found in the villages so using this technique we went on to satisfying what we call 10 basic human needs some of which are the water supply clean water sanitation healthcare education particularly children's education preschool education then housing energy needs communication needs so like that we we try to with the same principle of sharing we try to fulfill but of course the reality is that most of these villages are very poor they can't do everything on their own so we have to bring certain resources from outside so that the organizational structure that i described earlier also helps in identifying some resources from outside which can be brought in we also have donations from institutions foundations who who come and uh, help in various different programs to individual donors who, who are willing to help with say building a preschool in the village or putting up a water scheme or providing uh, some equipment to the preschool and things like that so we have been quite successful in mobilizing the local resources getting people the sense of ownership and building also community level organization so that such a process get institutionalized and also provide the linkages so that they feel that they are not isolated even though they are doing lot of work by themselves they need that networking they need to feel that they are part of a large social movement and that is what this organizational structure is doing it sounds to me like what we call in the us community organizing it looks like it has parallel principles but the idea of starting with meditation which i think maybe makes for a space that is interreligious that certainly meditation can happen for obviously for buddhists and then for hindus muslims too i'm not i'm not aware of that although of course they perform salat five times a day so maybe it's kind of like meditation you make a common ground for everyone to meet one of the things that we hear about in the us we know very little about but we hear about the tamil tigers and the problems the way i've heard it is as a somewhat of a suppression feeling like they're second class citizens are there tamil people who are involved with sarodia i think that back at the beginning the very inception of sarodia that your father must have been looking at something and said we need to do this differently what was that vision and how does it include diverse people like the tamils since the very inception of the movement of course uh, my father's uh, vision i mean he could anticipate that there could be such tensions and even lead to full blown uh, violence some day if we do not address uh, these uh, relations between different communities living in sri lanka so at the same time we started the sarvodaya movement and work uh, expanded in the south there were similar work camps that i described also organized in the north and the east of the country where the tamil population was in majority so now this involved also the uh, same kind of community mobilization again the spiritual dimension was brought in but not as a buddhist value but it was more uh, identifying common elements that are there in the hindu tradition and there were many elements because some of these principles although they are articulated from a buddhist perspective they are universal the concept of sharing which i just mentioned and also we believe in this compassionate action that is you feel a kind of concern for another person and start acting on 
on that thought translating it into action to change that situation now that is a buddhist way of thinking but which is also i am sure a hindu way of thinking a christian way of thinking or islamic way of thinking so sarvodaya has been quite successful from the very beginning even creating the organizational structure to reflect religious and ethnic diversity so it was a very inclusive organization though it was inspired by buddhist traditions so we have definitely over the years unfortunately we have had a very bloody war for 26 years which came to an end in 2009 before the war we have been doing so much work trying to avert such a disaster from happening in sri lanka we have had youth exchange programs between south and the north where sinhala tamil and muslim youth could get together understand each other what we call amity camps coexistence programs between religious leaders so before the war during the war after the war at different levels and in different character we organized peace activities and also during the war we initiated lot of relief and rehabilitation programs to help the people who are affected largely uh, tamil community in the northern province as well as tamil and muslim communities in the eastern province and also there was a significant number of sinhalese communities who were also affected there were terrorist attacks and there was tremendous amount of violence against civilians belonging to all communities by the uh, tamil tigers and there were also lot of confrontations uh, which affected the the civilian population so we were trying to as a organization which was working across all communities which has been acceptable to all communities we continued within our means of course we are not as powerful as a elected uh, government so we can't influence beyond a certain point certain decisions taken by a government but we tried to work in partnership with government also wherever it was important or relevant to help the people so when there were large replacement displacement after the war ended we worked in partnership with the ministry of health and the government to provide services for 300000 people who were displaced by the war and also now in the resettlement process we play a leading role we help to construct houses getting people to return back to their homes we also educate them on things like landmines you know we have a huge number of landmines government is uh, responsible for removing the landmines and it has done a tremendous job in removing the landmines in residential areas so that people can quickly return but still there there are uh, you have to educate particularly the children about not to touch these explosive devices how to identify them and report them to authorities so such things to nutrition related programs and so many other social programs we are doing so that we have a character of a very national inclusive organization and we really believe that sri lanka can be a very prosperous and peaceful country if we all work together if we use this diversity in a constructive way not in a divisive way we know that there are extremist elements in all sides who try to keep these divisions but as a organization which cut across all divisions we promote the uh, understanding that needs to be there and also try to get the best teachings of all traditions to be practiced by all communities so that is where we are right now ovinya it must be really exciting and also daunting to be part of this work for so many years in the us 
because Christianity is the background radiation that we live in, I think we're very used to, uh, particularly more liberal end of the spectrum, finding fault with Christianity because even though Jesus is the Prince of Peace, Christianity has raised its banner at the front of many wars and many militaries. I'm wondering, it's almost incomprehensible to me given the very rudimentary knowledge I have of Buddhism, but is there such thing as a Buddhist military? That just seems so contradictory to what I say, but there there must there's probably a military or national police force that serves Sri Lanka. I mean, you're Buddhist, Vinya, so is militarism and Buddhism, are they incompatible with one another? As a Buddhist, I do not believe in violence of any form. I do not think that we have a kind of a military, uh, a Buddhist military concept. I, I don't think it's, I, I don't accept that and I don't think there is something like that. However, the bottom line is that uh, since the independence in 1948, our polity, we didn't get it right. We didn't get, we didn't evolve a governance system that could ensure the rights and responsibilities of all citizens living in Sri Lanka. So if there was a trend to either use your cultural identities, uh, religious identities or ethnic identities by any group to dominate another group or even to try to uh, get into political power, I don't accept that. And that is also at the heart of, unfortunately, what happened in Sri Lanka. So the political, uh, there was a strong political factor which led to this situation. So what I see is that, okay, now the war is behind us. We are a post-war country, but not still post-conflict because some of the factors which led to the conflict are still there. I think we need to go back to our, the roots of our traditions, the roots of our uh, Buddhist teachings or Hindu traditions or Christian or Islamic and try to see how we could really relate to each other in a respectful uh, manner as equals and bring out the humanity in us. If we bring the humanity in us, I think then we don't need to think of any kinds of militancy, whether it is militancy coming from one religion or another religion. Religion cannot be justified to impose violence on another community. I think if that is happening, I don't think that that should happen in Sri Lanka or that will happen in Sri Lanka. We need to stop that. And that is where the basic teachings of Buddhism need to be again reminded in our own minds and then find non-violent ways of resolving this conflict rather than perpetuating violence in the name of safeguarding any religion. I don't believe in that. You've already mentioned, Vinya, a lot of the programs that you had to attempt to avert the war, you know, cultural sharing, getting children together, people living hand-in-hand hand with someone, they, it it's becomes much harder to kill them. Are there other peace and conflict resolution programs or techniques that are important to you? I mean, is this work that you specifically are involved in? Very much so. In addition to the more mass-based actions that we have been promoting, peace meditation, peace marches, inter-religious activities, youth exchange programs and so on, we also try to address some of the basic problems in relation to governance. Now, when you say power sharing, it's always thought of as a national level concept of power sharing or purely as devolution. We believe that a lot of autonomy can be given 
to village level and villages can make their own decisions so you don't have to really think of a devolution on the basis of ethnicity or geography only so on one hand we believe that uh, this problem should also be addressed through a power sharing mechanism which is actually devolving power to the smallest unit of governance that is the village community right so we are lobbying for a constitutional change to accommodate that that is so we are working on the power element as well so we try to approach this through a change in consciousness which is through all these activities i have described earlier and also a change in the economy creating economic opportunities because young people resort to violence because they also don't have a sense of hope or future for their lives after being educated so we believe that you have to also help these young people to find employment or meaningful livelihood so that is an integral part then the third element is working on power power relationships devolution of power so it is not only that we are doing this kind of conscious level activities but we are doing lot of activities bringing people together uh, having dialogue facilitated dialogue we are training people for non violent means of communication and bringing uh, 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 this concepts of conflict transformation conflict resolution basic skills building on our own traditional practices because there had been indigenous ways of resolving conflicts in sri lanka where sometimes you go to the uh, religious leaders or elders getting together this type of mechanisms can be very useful in the current context so we are working in all these levels and all different dimensions and convergence of those i think will help to find a lasting solution to the problem that we are facing in sri lanka i'm very interested in one aspect that you were talking about vinya that because what you're trying to do is sarvodia is to empower at the local grassroots level that seems a very positive thing but i recognize that from some people's point of view people whose fiefdom is perhaps to have control of a government agency they want the local people to be dependent upon them because they've got the goods and then they can get more power for themselves in some ways what you were talking about as you you encourage people to not depend on government welfare handouts that in this country might translate to be kind of small government or get, get rid of the big government programs and instead of being dependent on the government you've got your own power that might be seen in this country as being a conservative point of view <laughs> do you get a lot of resistance and pushback from government people who say no I'm in control of that program. You can't build a road without my engineers taking control of it. That kind of thing. Yes, we are now in the 21st century. Where when we started Sarvodaya, we were in the 20th century, and uh, not only that, uh, Sri Lanka has also come a long way from what it was in 1958 when this movement was founded. So we we know the current reality, and also Sri Lanka is no longer classified as a poor country. it's not a low income country anymore our per capita gnp is uh, is uh, over 2800 dollars so we are a middle income country now according to the world bank classification so we are not eligible to even receive grant aid now so we we face a situation where even though we have lot of disparities and a uh, lot of poor people and major social and economic problems affecting certain sections of the population we don't get the 
kind of resources that we used to get 20 30 years ago so in a situation like that we believe that the government still has a responsibility of course the kind of approach that we adopt is going to go contrary to some party and pol political interest like in the US so in that sense I don't think there's any difference there is a, a possibility that they will interpret this type of activity as going against their political interests but I think we are trying to uh, see how even those resources that are being channeled through a patronage political system can it be absorbed by communities in a in a way that they are really not getting dependent on such aid but then they such external aid uh, becomes complementary to their own efforts so we are trying to negotiate it through rather than fighting it you know so uh, i think it's a delicate uh, very delicate thing we haven't really found the answer because it's only now that we are facing that situation after 55 years of working with the communities so uh, there are very large top-down programs that are being delivered and handed over through political structures and i think it's ultimately the choice is uh, by the people you know if we are true to ourselves of devolving power if people choose to accept those and go in a different path i think it's 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 up to them all we could do is just conscientize them you know show them uh, that these are the advantages and disadvantages educate them and provide them with the information and knowledge and beyond that it is up to them to uh, take it and form it in whatever the way they want there's a saying that I had passed me by a, a woman who had spent some time in Thailand and from a Buddhist monk there. She heard a saying that maybe is widespread, I don't know, in, in Buddhism. Something about a peaceful heart makes for a peaceful man, peaceful man makes for a peaceful family, peaceful family for a peaceful village, peaceful village for a peaceful nation, and a peaceful nation for a peaceful world. Number one, is that widespread? And is that somehow at the heart of how you work with Sarvodhya? Yes, I think very much so. We capture it in a different way. We say inner peace and then outer peace. Inner peace is peace within yourself. And then you you initiate a, a process where you then contribute to building outer peace. It is very much at the heart of uh, what we do. But I think what's more, uh, what's really important is that how we translate those concepts into action. Now that is where we have been quite successful that we start with peace meditations and those things which are very spiritual in nature but then we also go into tackling some of the hardcore economic and uh, political issues as well at some point. So both extremes cannot be uh, the answer on one extreme just going by a very spiritual approach alone will not be enough at the same time going by a very rational conflict resolution um, through peace negotiations that model is also not going to work and in fact it has failed in Sri Lanka so we have to look at how we combine most critical factors bring them together and look at an indigenous local solution to the problems that we are facing one of the things that I'm sure makes a difference. You've grown so much that Savodia has grown so much since your father founded it back in 1958. In your presentation to the nursing class, I think you said that there are currently 15,000 different units of Savodia, villages who are organized that way. 
What does this translate to in terms of percentage of the population? Has this grown to the point where a cry can go up from Sarodia and a very large percentage of the nation stands up and saying, yes, it will be done? Well, these uh, 15,000 villages are the like, cumulative number of villages which have benefited from Sarvodaya one way or the other. Not that all 15,000 villages have gone through this five-stage village development process and really are very vibrant communities. No. Uh, out of that, about uh, only 5,400 have organized themselves formally. In these other villages, there would have been one or two activities and people know about Sarvodaya, but they are really not in the path of a form of a formal development process but it has we are continuing to influence those those villages now these uh, villages where we have a legal entity formed as a sarvodaya village society which is an independent entity only because they affiliate philosophically to sarvodaya they use the term Sarvode, but otherwise they have a separate registration number, they are registered under the society's ordinance and uh, they have a certificate from the company registrar. So for all intention and purposes, they have their own constitution, elected officials managing their affairs. So of course, there is, I mean, maybe two, three million people have directly benefited at different stages of the movement over the last five decades and they are a formidable force in the country. Yes, if they get organized and demand something, that is something that no government can ignore. But we have not used that in that kind of way for any political uh, sort of advocacy. It is more towards development, consensus building towards uh, good governance, peace building, and we continue to do that. So to answer your question, yes, it is a formidable force, but it is up to the people themselves to decide how they are going to use that for whatever the needs that arise in our country. For that, we are creating a new platform. That is the new stage where we are in, which is called National Reawakening, or they show there. We are shifting away from a structure which was facilitated by paid full-time workers. We are giving more power to those councils which come together like as kind of federations at different levels of village organizations and also those who have not really worked with Sarvode but who are so having a, a interest in certain issues, mainly governance issues, to join these councils at district level and at national level. So we hope that that movement will have its own life, which is called the Deshodaya movement of Sarvodaya. And really, our role has to be to then just support that people's movement towards reconciliation, peace building, governance transformation in the country and be less and less involved in direct development related work that is fulfilling basic needs in the village which is now the responsibility of the government because government has resources so if we can strengthen the capacity of these organizations to tap the government resources they can do the kind of work by themselves that we used to directly facilitate 20-30 years ago. If I can ask you a few personal questions, Vinya, one of the things I'm aware of is you inherited, in, to some degree, this program, this work, from your father. I'm assuming that you're doing this because you love this work, because it's central to your heart. I imagine there's been a lot of headaches with it, too, a lot of demands and exhaustion that comes from it. 
Have you had your days when you said, why couldn't I just be a rich doctor working and just making money and isolated from all of these problems? Honestly, yes. I mean, there have been uh, instances where I really felt challenged uh, that, uh, you know, uh, it is quite difficult under certain conditions. But I never felt that, you know, I made the wrong choice. No, I never felt that. But of course, uh, there are formidable challenges at a personal level in in the in the transition from you know every time we have to be very creative to address certain problems uh, so um, i have felt uh, that probably certain things could have done differently if i look back i have been now associated with sarvodaya on a full time basis for the last 13 years on a part time basis for about 8 years before that so um, i do feel uh, that there have been instances where i felt very very uh, challenge to take a different course but I always then see the results of our work and that is also a quality that we have to develop what we call equanimity in Buddhism where because there are instances where I have also received extreme praise and awards for the kind of work that we are doing so at the same time I shouldn't get elated also so maintaining a balanced mind has also been an important part of our our work but I never wanted to be a rich doctor. <laughs> I think the non-attachment that you have to practice in order to be that kind of worker is so important. And as you've said, Vinya, you're, you're rooted as a Buddhist. There's a statement that's attributed to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He was so active in the civil rights organizing and peace organizing and so on in the United States that his schedule was packed from morning to night just solidly. I imagine your schedule is like that. A statement attributed to him was that he said something to the effect of, if I didn't spend two hours each day praying, I wouldn't have time enough for everything else. That, in fact, his prayer, his centering time, made it possible to carry out this extreme schedule. What's your personal practice? What's the religious, spiritual support that you root yourself in? I do meditate, but not as often as I should be, uh, to be very honest. But I spend a lot of time on reflection. Even though I have a very, very busy schedule, at least uh, one hour or one and a half hours I do spend on my own. Without any interruption, I try to reflect the day's work or the if I miss it on a certain day, the, the work during a few few days uh, that passed and I sort of get feedback also from different people on, on how we are doing and so I had um, made it uh, uh, practice a regular practice kind of self-introspection how I had also reacted to certain situations and that has been a learning experience to practice patience and you know withstand certain uh, pressures from within and from outside and also the connection that I have to my family is also a very big. Uh, I'm very attached to my family. I have two children and my wife, though, is not involved in Sarvode. She is having her own career. But we are a very, very closely knit family. And that is also, I think, a very strong spiritual bonding because they all understand my work. And uh, I, I do spend time with them, but probably not enough. But even this time that I spend, it's very high quality time. So that is a, a very important fallback position for me uh, to recharge my energy and really go on uh, with this work. 
Do you also have a religious community, a sangha, that you practice with? Is there a group of Buddhists that you meet with, or perhaps wider than Buddhism? Because one of the things I'm aware of that has made for a significant amount of improvement in terms of civil rights in the United States has been kind of a, a reduction in our religious identity and an increase in our civic identity. No, in our case, I think we still rely more on the religious spiritual identity than on our civic identity. So every month we have at least one day to go to the temple and, you know, have collective prayers. Now, for example, yesterday was a full moon day. Now, every full moon day is a sacred day for the Buddhists. And it's a holiday and usually you devote the whole day to religious practices. Now, some of us will not be able to do that uh, the whole day, but we at least as a family go to the temple. Then we are, at Sarvode, we have a meditation center, which is open throughout the month. And, you know, so there are different uh, spiritual activities, meditation that we participate. All our workers are also doing uh, meditation. Now, when we start a meeting, always we spend two, three minutes meditation. Even our governing council meeting starts with a meditation. So it's a it's a practice which is built in. And also, I think meditation is something that you can also do in your work. It is what you call mindfulness. Do it with mindfulness, then it's a kind of spiritual uh, practice. So we do it collectively. Sometimes uh, in the headquarters, we have staff retreats uh, where we spend a lot of time on meditation and interacting with somebody, a layperson or a priest on religious uh, spiritual matters. So that is how we keep the spiritual dimension very much integrated into our daily work. It's some really wonderful work that Sarvodhya has been doing in Sri Lanka. And the name of Vinya Aryaratna is certainly now imprinted in my memory as, as an important worker for peace. Now, that's not to give you praise, but that's to give you responsibility for the future. I expect to hear many great things coming from Sri Lanka because of this important seed that you are constantly planting. I'm also aware that it's not a seed that you plant and walk away from. It's a seed that you plant and you water it and then you plant more seeds because at the point when we stop tending the seed, it can fall into ruin and the weeds can take over. So I'm so thankful that Sarvodia is doing this important work in Sri Lanka. I'm so thankful that the struggle with the Tamil Tigers, that that appears to be at an end and that you're working on the resolution of it. Because one of the things that was a bit disheartening for me was to hear that a Buddhist nation somehow didn't get it right. We're used to Christian nations getting it wrong but we didn't want to have a Buddhist nation getting it wrong. And so the fact that Sarvodhya and you, Vinya, have been working so hard to bring things closer to that divine center is a tremendous gift to the world. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for your visit here to the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire, and thank you for joining me for Spirit in Action. Thank you very much, Mark, for giving this opportunity for me to share uh, my experience and thoughts with you, and it has also been an inspiring interaction for me as well. Thank you. Find Sarvodya on the web at sarvodya.org. That's S-A-R-V-O-D-A-Y-A dot org. Or just follow the link from this program on nordenspiritradio.org. I want to mention my appreciation to Rita Webb, who facilitated Vinya's Eau Claire visit, 
One of the reasons she knew Vinyad to invite him here is that Rita spent several years in Sri Lanka working with a nonviolent peace force. Though I haven't yet interviewed Rita, I did speak with her husband, Marty Webb, on one of his visits back to the U.S. while he and Rita were living in Sri Lanka, and I've also interviewed one of the two co-founders of the Nonviolent Peace Force, Mel Duncan. I want to leave you with a song about and for peace in Sri Lanka, but first I wanted to share with you some thoughts about economics from a market, Western point of view, compared with Buddhist economics, from a side-by-side comparison that Rita Webb passed on to me, because I think it's useful in understanding the assumptions we make, knowing almost nothing but our own system. Because Sri Lanka is roughly 70% Buddhist, and because Sarvodhya was founded from Buddhist principles, I thought the comparison could provide helpful insights into the cultural, structural, and ethical roots of Sri Lanka. Western market economics, according to the handout Rita passed to me, focuses only on the money economy, regardless of damage done to peace, health, overall quality, happiness of people's lives, while Buddhist economics believes that development must be integrated into all spheres of life, spiritual, moral, cultural, social, political, and economic. Market econ ignores all non-quantifiable abstract values in an effort to be scientific, whereas Buddhist econ believes economics is, in fact, the most value-dependent of all social sciences, because it begins with want, continues with choice, and ends with satisfaction, all of which are functions of the mind. There are many more items on the list, but that's enough for now. So I'll finish off this installation of Spirit in Action with a song from Sri Lanka. We could have picked out a traditional tune from Sri Lanka, but I found the following song produced by World Vision Lanka. And since it's about peace, it seemed relevant to this show. So I leave you with Vikasita Siapat, or Peace Song, by World Vision Lanka. Follow the link and watch the video on northernspiritradio.org. And we'll see you next week for Spirit in Action.
theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. This Spirit in Action program is an effort of Northern Spirit Radio. You can listen to our programs and find links and information about us and our guests on our website, northernspiritradio.org. Thank you for listening. I am your host, Mark Helpsmeet, and I welcome your comments and stories of those leading lives of spiritual fruit. May you find deep roots to support you and grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. With every voice.